Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. The pleasure has a role in the like reception of semen into the egg. <laughs> I don't know why you had to say semen. Uh, well, then why isn't fucking Dame Joan Collins having like 8,000 kids? Because she gets a lot of pleasure in this movie. Uh, I assume it's because uh, she's on some form of birth control. You never see her take that, though. They don't bother. Yeah, she's kind of an older gal. Does she have her tube side, maybe? Uh, possibly, yeah. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. She's barren. <laughs> well, they do comment on it, actually, uh, in one point. Um, the one character mentions her, like, settling down and becoming, uh, like, a... A mother? Yeah. She and, fucking laughs him out of the building? Yeah, out yeah. of the car, yeah. She's like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> it's laughs the, him out of the car. It's the random guy who wants to be her wife, the weird proposal scene. Oh, that's really fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I should we just go from here. Or I don't know. I, I, don't really yeah. have, I don't really have much of an introduction. We can cut this out, or, or you no, can add it. I feel like this is probably we could do worse. <laughs> uh, we could talk about missing the stud and starting with the bitch. That's what happened. We, <laughs> <laughs> we we missed the stud and we're starting with the bitch. How how do we do that? How do we start without the stud in this case here? Why are we starting on the bitch? And why people have no stud? idea what the fuck we're talking about right now. <laughs> <laughs> this makes no sense. Uh, uh, welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper and I'm Nolan. And today we are discussing 1979. Uh, is it a British production? Yeah, British American production, co-production. I don't know. It's called the bitch. Yeah, this is our Valentine's Day episode. <laughs> and we. Uh, we, we received a request from a, a gentleman on Twitter by the name of at Stone Gas Man. I mean, I'm sure that's not his actual name, but that's his Twitter handle or X handle. Well, the Gas Man Fucking, has this is rated X, thrown out quite the request here. Yeah. Um, but it's the sequel yeah. to a movie called The Stud. Yes, both of them starring Joan Collins. Dame Joan Collins. Yes, has Apparently, been recognized by the Queen. I would have lost money on that after seeing this movie. Her fantastic work in these two films, I guess. For, for fantastic. Oh, work. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you said something else. Uh, yeah, but I guess this is and it's the same character. Uh, it's a book written by her sister. Yeah, many, the- many time million selling author uh, Judy Collins. Yeah, what a fucked up kind of set of coincidences that led to this movie being made it's strange i I wonder if part of giving the rights to the movie to the studios was you have to hire my sister yeah Yeah. i can see that oh i hang on studios well (laughs) sorry do the producers this is an independent production yeah fucking judy collins me bankrolling this thing or joan collins or both it's possible but this actually i was reading was one of the very first extremely successful VHS releases. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. There's a lot of nudity. Yeah, it made a ton of cash on VHS. As someone who grew up in the time of renting VHSs, I can say that not a small number of them were geared towards, you know, is there nudity? Is there? And yes, there is in this one. Um, It could be considered by some to be a softcore porn in many circumstances. I believe the exact classification I found online was erotic slash thriller. I'm not sure about the thriller part. Uh, The the erotic part I would give them is definitely erotic. Yeah. Or romantic. And therefore very appropriate for our Valentine's Day episode. So if this is an erotic thriller, are we then comparing it to... To some of the others we've watched together on the podcast. Basic Instinct 2, Body of Evidence, 
Blame it on Rio, these ones you're talking about? <laughs> I love how you included Blame it on Rio here. I mean, if you want to talk yeah. eroticism. Ooh, this does fit more similar to that and, than and, I think the British, British uh, <laughs> not royalty, but when they've been knighted. Sir Michael Caine, he's a knight, right? Oh my goodness. So why are you our, our erotic thrillers are featuring many people knighted by the Queen? I'm seeing kind of a connection here. If you want to get that sort of royal welcome, you need to be willing to bone down on film. T's out. <laughs> Pants down. Overnight in London. Yeah. What? <laughs> it's a song. Pants out to yeah, or t- out pants down overnight in London. It's a line oh, okay. song. Yeah. yeah. There you yeah. go. Well, that's hey, this hey. whatever gets you there, I guess. <laughs> uh we are going to be covering all of the very lurid details of this uh late seventies something. Again, I don't even know how to describe it. Like uh independent it's gotta be independent, right? Independent film. I guess so. I didn't investigate who made it, but the production quality or cinematography and story definitely lend themselves to that to me. Although very popular, famous books that the story is coming from. I don't know. Well, hang on. I, I believe that she wrote many best-selling books, but I'm not necessarily sure that the stud and the bitch were, were two, two of them. Those. Yeah, okay, you never know. Uh, but before we get to that, we've paired up a beer with the movie, like we always do. What are we drinking today, Noel? Yeah, I'm really excited for this. I have never had anything from this brewery. Uh, the brewery itself is called the Abe Herb Brewing Company. And they're out of Waterloo, Ontario. They have a couple locations, I think, in that general area. Maybe Cambridge and Air as well. Well, I've been to, there's one in Kitchener, downtown Kitchener, in a pretty, like, uh, it seems like a pretty trendy part of town. Yeah, so this thing is named after Abraham Herb, which is the Abe Herb here. And he was the sort of founder of Waterloo, Ontario. He was the first Mennonite to come to the area <laughs> from Pennsylvania. There you go. Some Ontario history and a little uh, nod to our American friends there, specifically in Pennsylvania. Yeah, it sounds sounds really good. The whole kind of concept behind the brewery was that like Abraham Herb, they were looking to build a community where people came together and enjoyed like the good things in life. And that's sort of what their, their philosophy is at the brewery. And I'm excited to try this. This one is called the Transatlantic. It's an American pale ale. The connection to our movie is we start off at the airport and on a plane transatlantic from New York City to London. That's right. JFK to Heathrow in the middle of the night. I'm excited for this beer. It says... Transatlantic offers plenty for the hop lovers. <laughs> but I mean, I, like I said, I had a couple cans and I, I don't mind it. It's good. Well, it does say a juicy, sweet, and drinkable body shines through. So I think you're always looking for juicy, sweet, and uh, drinkable bodies. Speaking of connections to this movie. Ah, so, yes. Joe Juicy, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, well, oh, man. <laughs> this is going to live up to our two stars for lurid, inappropriate comments for sure. You can thank the Stone Gas Man for that. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Yes, man, we appreciate that. Absolutely. Thanks for reaching out. Why don't we crack open these beers and get into it? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I'm excited. <laughs> we fade in on a helicopter flying over the streets of Manhattan here. It circles a few times before some piano music transitions us to shots of a florist van arriving at the residence of Mrs. Fontaine Khaled. And where is Mrs. Fontaine Khaled? She's in bed, having just finished getting nailed by her lover, Paul. Apparently, he knocked it out of the park, too, because she compliments him before seemingly making a move to initiate round two. I say seemingly because they don't actually do it, at least not yet. Instead, we get a little back and forth about Paul's star sign, presumably as relates to his lovemaking prowess. Is it my imagination, or does he kind of sound like Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs here? 
Well, Scorpio, actually. <laughs> she a big fat person. Oh Ted Levine. God, I did not get that uh, connection in any way. Uh, you went straight to Science of the Lambs. For me, this was all kind of, I was wondering if this was starting as a heist movie. I went to this knowing nothing about it, but we have that police helicopter, like you say. It relates to nothing. No, it, well, <laughs> other than it's helping you transition to the van arriving with flowers in it. I thought there was going to be something important or big about this van, but all it is is a chance for Paul to show that he's flexing his muscles here, dropping another thing of flowers on her after they just finished coitus. Have you ever uh, bought flowers for a lady and got them delivered, like, while nailing her? (laughs) No, I have not. I've gotten flowers for ladies, never had them delivered in that manner. He's playing this smart, though, because she's about to leave on this trip. So I think he's trying to just kind of remind her, like, hey, don't forget about old Paul, which she immediately does. (laughs) Well, not yet. Not yet. She... She's still, uh, it does appreciate the flowers. She even brings one into bed and sort of gets a little aggressive with him, gives him a bit of that thorn to go along with (laughs) the sugar that they had had earlier. She says she has to get ready and heads off into the shower and leaves Paul laying in bed there looking like he's ready for a little bit more. Oh, definitely. And even though she's perilously close to missing her flight, she's very late. Paul follows her in and sensually caresses her back with one of those roses. And despite her protest, they do go for round two. Paul, I don't have time for an encore. Not even time to take a bath? Well, maybe just a tiny curtsy. And their steamy f***ing takes us to the opening credits. Joan Collins is the bitch. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. (laughs) Man, um... This starts off real hot, opens in the bed, goes straight to a sex scene in the shower. If you don't have time for it, it is the right place to do it, right? Cleanup is easy, and you're right out of there fast. No, hang on. I disagree. I don't know what he's thinking here. They just had sex, so this round is almost certainly going to take longer, right? There's no way she makes that flight. (laughs) She had, I think, two hours to get there. No, she's like, oh my god, I'll be late. I'm going to miss my flight. They were playing it up. I think that was part of their thing. I think she had lots of time to get there, but they needed to have that extra little role play in their uh, session here. What I think was hilarious, though, is as they're doing it in the shower, what drops but the funkiest intro theme song. (laughs) It comes straight out of Blaxploitation cinema. That's what I thought, too, yeah. I was like, is this black exploitation movie without black people? It's kind of what happened to me right away. I was like, what is happening here? Oh my god, white people even co-opted black exploitation movies? It kind of feels like uh, it in many ways. If just we... the fucking worst. Yeah. Well it's yeah. the British, you know. The... Wait a second. Oh god. Yeah. Well, he fucking nails her in this shower. Uh and despite my thoughts on this, she does in fact make her flight. And while she's at the gate, she happens to catch the eye of a mustachioed European gentleman named Nico Canafora. As luck would have it, he's on the same flight, only we get the impression from his conversation with a particularly gruff-looking character that luck isn't really on his side these days. No, it, it seems like Nico's in a little bit of trouble here. He looks like he has a lot of charm, he is dressed well, and he's certainly doing a good job talking to the people at the counter. And when he meets Fontaine, even providing some charm there. But the guys who have him kind of by the collar are looking a little gruff. It looks like Nico's in a little bit of financial trouble, and that trouble might be with the mob. Oh, yeah, he's definitely uh, owes some money to the wrong people, which becomes a big part of our plot as we go through this. Apparently, uh, Fontaine really caught this guy's eye as he smooth talks the person at the gate into seating him right next to her. Meanwhile, we also find out that the extravagant diamond ring she's wearing caught the eye of his associate and he encourages Nico to try to lift it off her during the flight. And what a flight this is. 
champagne naturally, but also a gourmet five-course meal, not to mention the spiral staircase right in the middle of the first-class cabin. Damn! Oh, my God. This fucking plane is insane. So, one, they're in first class, so they got massive seats. They bring down a trolley with an insane amount of food. They're making some sex jokes as she calls her appetite insatiable. <laughs> yeah, she's not a lie. As no. we find out, she doesn't have an insatiable appetite. Um, so <laughs> they uh, they get into this. They start having some drinks and eating some food, and then they get a rousing game of backgammon on. Oh, definitely. And we should note here, this this everyone in this movie is super fucking rich, or at least presents that way. This is a type of luxury that you and I will never know, unless we keep traveling with producer John. <laughs> he does like to treat <laughs> that way. I don't think they make planes like this anymore, though. There's no, some, I mean, it's like out of Austin Powers. It's yeah. like a, yeah, some groovy fucking 60s, 70s thing where... They yeah. have way better use of space in a plane now. There's no way there are stairs up to a fucking empty bar with things that go hang out up there. Well, I don't know if the bar was empty, although they do help themselves to it after everyone's gone to sleep. And that combined with the backgammon that you mentioned is going to provide just enough of a flirty winner to push us into the main plot of this thing. Well, that and the fact that he slips an enormous, presumably stolen diamond into the liner of her fur coat. Yeah, I think this was sort of what he's being forced to do by the mob. This was why they're sending him across the... Smuggling. Yeah, they've turned him into a mule and now... He's turned our main female character into a mule as well. Unknowingly. I know. Yeah. Yeah. What a dick. What's, he's, man, he's going to, he's I want to do it. Yeah. Well, if the mob's after you, you owe them 250000 I think uh, you're going to probably do some stuff too. Oh my God, for sure. Now, I actually really like the scene after this where they go through the security lines. There's two separate lines. They kind of split off. Only hers is moving way faster than his. So he's left to frantically watch as she walks away with luggage, her fur, and his giant diamond. For a minute, this seems like it might just be a fake-out as Fontaine is greeted by her friend-slash-business partner and mentions that she might give this guy a ride, metaphorically for now. <laughs> I heard you'd ordered the roll, so I bummed a ride. Good. We may have an extra man aboard. Oh. Someone delectable. Well, not exactly my type, just a little mature. <laughs> you mean he's over 21? I don't know about you, but I could listen to these high-society cougars talk about young c- all day long. <laughs> <laughs> it's like elegant the way they're doing it is like classy and like i don't know man the innuendo is fun i do like that it it is interesting i was wondering at this point when they bring up the age of those guys how old joan collins is here gotta be over 40 right yeah i yeah. she definitely is she's she's definitely in her 40s and uh i think it was funny that yeah she's definitely got an eye for the younger man she looks great though for mid 40s or early yeah. 40s oh absolutely that, yeah. yeah yeah she's doing well here so, yeah, they're having this conversation. It sounds like they're going to wait for him, but unfortunately, he picks the shit line. He is really stuck at customs here. Yeah, so she just fucking bails on him. And this is the scene where we learn that Mrs. Fontaine Khaled might not be quite as on the level as she seems either. Turns out she owns a disco that is extremely unprofitable, and she might be running out of money herself. In fact, things are so bad that she decides she doesn't have the time to wait for that mysterious Latin lover type, her words, and leaves Nico at the airport, diamondless and alone. Yes, so things are looking bad for Nico. He owes 250 large to the mob, and he's just lost the diamond that they've asked him to bring across to sort of help pay back some of that money. He's going to be working hard to find her, though, and we're going to have some hilarious ways that he tries to locate her in a minute. But she's off to go to Hobo, this club that we... It's called Hobo. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) this club that we 
Found out later through research that she creates in the first one, the stud, right? This is Yeah, she uses her wealthy husband's money to open a disco. <laughs> he doesn't like that very much, especially because she spends all of her time f***ing 21-year-olds while there. And so they get divorced, and here we are now at the bitch. They're riding in their um they're Rolls riding Rice. in their Rolls Royce off to the disco, and once we get there, things are pretty depressing yeah we bounce back and forth between a couple of scenes now fontaine checking out her disco which as you mentioned is uh fairly empty while nico checks the phone book for a mrs fontaine Colette. no luck on that front though as the operator couldn't find her number listed in the exchange and if that is the 1970 sentence i don't know what is i laughed my ass off yeah <laughs> it just felt so funny and so dated one him grabbing that massive phone book and searching through that if you threw that in front of a 15 year old today they would have no idea what it was definitely not they'd fucking run away they don't know what it wants to read a book that big <laughs> but also the guy at the fucking switchboard i was like oh my god this is a time capsule right here yeah now later that night nico tries his luck at a nearby casino but it's mrs Khaled's driver who really gets lucky she invites him in for a cup of tea and then after a weird aside about rattlesnakes f***ing comes out of a room wearing his driver cap her fur coat, and not much else. She pops off that her coat to reveal some sexy black lingerie, and before long, that's gone too, after not a small amount of innuendo. Did Polly audition you personally? Well, I gave her a ride around the block. Mm. Not too fast, I hope. She didn't complain. <laughs> I bet she didn't. <laughs> so again, we got the young man here. I was wondering if you enjoyed all the tea sex innuendo. It was reminding me of our sweet hockey episode. Oh, young blood, yeah, yeah, man. There's something very sensual about dipping a tea bag in some warm liquid. I guess that's what my like, fucking. Tea yeah. <laughs> We've solved the mystery, everybody. Uh, here we what, go. So. So there's a ton of innuendo, and then uh, we also have her have some sex with the uh, the driver. It seems like they have a good time, but afterwards she heads to the bath, and does she have much time for him? Oh, fuck no. In the sober light of day, uh, Mrs. Collette seems far less enthusiastic about uh, Ricky, that's the driver's name, when she wakes up next to him. And she even kind of puts him in his place when he walks in on her in the bath to say good morning. Not only does she turn down another ride, she forces him to address her in a formal manner and banishes him to the guest bathroom. But let's give Ricky some credit here. He is a total pro about it. He just says yes, ma'am, and walks Absolutely, away. Absolutely, yeah. man. He knows. He knows the deal. Yeah, it's true. I think he's a little disappointed. I think he thought he did a better job or had more impact on her. She wanted to test him out, and he was definitely not invited back for a second ride. No, definitely not. But again, he handles it well. Now, while all that's all happening, Nico gets a call from his diamond contact in London, and it's fucking Cliff from Cheers. Yeah, it's John Ratzenberger. <laughs> <laughs> this is so surprising to me. Yeah, it threw me off so bad when I saw him pop on the screen there. I immediately knew who it was. Um, yeah, he's the one who's going to be moving this diamond for our Nico character. Uh, Nico tells him the bad news. He describes this woman and even gives her name, and... What's uh, a Ratzenberger going to do for him? Well, that's actually the only good news this whole exchange because Nico tells him his plan is to walk around this park and his master plan is completely fucked. Like, it turns out he stole the diamond, strike one, because he needed to pay off the mafia, strike two, but now he's lost it because Mrs. Khaled runs a shitty disco. And that's strike three, but as he points out, if he hadn't given it to her, the customs guys who searched him would have definitely found it. Plus, we know he's obviously going to find her again, otherwise there's no movie. So it turns out he's still in there swinging. And this is what happens when he mentions her name, Cliff knows exactly how and where to find her. 
Yeah, he's heard of the disco. He has heard of Miss Colette. He knows what happened in the stud. He must have been around through those days. He spends his time at many of those discos. You wouldn't know it based on his dance moves, though. That's true. He's still a little clunky. Holy as shit. As you would expect Cliff from Cheers to be in a fucking disco. Ratzenberger yeah. on that floor is just a fucking travesty, and we're going to see That's some of that good. soon. We're getting some very dated language that... We wouldn't be using today. There's some derogatory comments about Jews and Arabs as well. But she was married to an Arab. Yes, which is yeah. why we're getting the derogatory comments. Well, I don't know if that's you. She's way. not making them. Cliff's making them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not a good guy. He's a criminal. Yeah, he's no, fencing he, stolen diamonds. It's true. He's, yeah. he's a terrible dancer. <laughs> he's an awful dancer. Yeah. Yeah. All these <laughs> things to me scream. <laughs> what a terrible dude. Uh, it, it's dated for sure. I knew you were going to have a problem with that. So he knows where to find Fontaine. Where we find Fontaine next is at her accountant's office where he is just giving her the business. But unlike her driver, he isn't with his c <laughs> As we suspected, her disco is absolutely losing money and the money problems are being compounded by her very expensive taste. Now, this wasn't the problem when she was married to her millionaire ex-husband in the previous movie. Zillionaire is more like it, the accountant says with a straight face. But she is going to need a serious influx of cash or there is going to be trouble real soon. Yeah, it sounds like both her business and lifestyle are in trouble here. This accountant character is kind of interesting. He's definitely playing it very straight. He, he seems like he cares about the money. But they have a weird interjection, and we'll talk about it later. He also seems to care a lot more about her than we suspected. Yeah, he fucking buys her a watch, even though he knows that she's like fucking going bankrupt later you know that. He, yeah, yeah yeah as a, like a gift but this feels like this is just the the watch thing is just the first step to his master plan yeah there's something else there that we get to later for sure uh that night nico and cliff head out in search of fontaine they quickly figure out that she isn't in her own club since the crowd is so small they definitely spot her so cliff plays a hunch that she'll be checking out the competition at the hottest club in town it is the place right now a little bit on the gay side, but gay is in. And I know it's impossible since this came out first, but I was really hoping we get a Can't Stop the Music crossover here. Steve Gutenberg behind the turntables and the village people performing live? Missed opportunity. That would have been fantastic. Could you imagine? Oh my God, it would have fit right in with this sort of atmosphere of this club. Everyone's having a really good time. Lots of over-the-top stereotypes for sure, but it was it was fun. The music is really good, and we are actually getting disco songs from the era. There's a couple of times I thought it was the Village People. I don't know if it was, but I know uh, You Make Me Feel Like Dancing is in the yes, movie for sure. So I assume the other ones are real songs too, but I was kind of like, the fucking Village People? Yeah, so this is an interesting part where we're getting a ton of like campy shots, lots of funny close-ups of legs and clothing and people in the disco lights, and... This part is kind of fun. This is where I am feeling like it's kind of black exploitation y, but I'm sure there were other movies like it, but it feels very much like that here. Well, this part, what you're talking about, reminded me of Disco Godfather. Because if you remember when we watched that, a whole bunch of scenes are just people disco dancing as a way to kind of like show off the, the dancing and the music and stuff. And that's kind of what I was getting here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This. A lot less sad than that one, but uh, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, this place is absolutely packed. The excitement is coming through, and sure enough, Fontaine is there, seated around a table with some friends. Nico comes by to say hello, and she invites him to sit down for some champagne. But before you know it, the two of them are out on the dance floor. They don't stay long, though, opting to head to another disco that to me looked exactly like the first one. In fact, I thought they were lingering to show us some generic dance footage, like we were just talking about a la Disco Godfather. And listen, I hate padding, 
But if you're going to put some in there, you could do a lot worse than bright lights, disco music, and sexy people shaking it. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to pad, this is the right way to do it. This movie is like straight up 90 minutes long, I think. Pretty much dead on. Yeah. Like 91, yeah. Yeah, right about that. So these are definitely necessary. I did question at this point whether this was really just a movie that was trying to show off the disco of the time. Like, <laughs> just like Can't Stop the Music? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was just yeah. wondering if this was sort of an homage kind of thing there. But we know that it isn't. It just happens that she owns that disco club club and that's where they have to make those connections here but yeah so she's doing some research she's out on the town trying to find out why the other clubs are beating hers and what she can do to fix it her and nico seem to be having a good time does that mean it's gonna pay off with a a big sex scene here seemingly no because despite making some moves in the d floor earlier fontaine has ricky take nico back to his hotel but he's not going to go gently into that good night. And after phoning her up like 15 minutes later, she completely reverses course and invites him over to bang her, which he does in that adorable kind of rolling side-to-side sex scene you always used to see in 70s and 80s movies. I guess it's like a little more aggressive than that, but on a scale of one to Monsters Ball, I'd give it like a two. <laughs> oh, God. Fuck. Monster, remember that? Billy Bob Thornton. Monsters oh, Ball? Oh, my that God. That was intense, dude. Yeah, I'm not comfortable with that scene in, in any way. Um, I'm very comfortable with it. <laughs> in every way. What I thought was interesting here was he does call her up, and we get what happens a lot in this movie is very quick transitions. Yeah, jarring even. Jarring. We go from them on the phone to, was it her on top or him on top? They flip back and forth. They yeah. roll back and forth yeah. a couple of times. Yeah, but exactly. it's like, there's not there's uh, no thrusting per se. No, He's kind of, they're just like rocking back and forth. I, a lot of the sex scenes in this are both members naked but them clearly not aligning their genitals right they're always in a a not touching genital to genital space and obviously that's because this is not a porno but (laughs) but it's funny to see that kind of like rolling around naked but clearly not inside of uh each other they didn't have tape back then they couldn't tape things down it was like we can't risk it have him lay on her fucking side of her thigh yeah i guess that's what it is Uh, (laughs) the next morning we can't get joan collins pregnant (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not at her age the, the next morning Nico goes to get his ring back from her coat but he completely botches it which is a recurring theme she catches him every time he tries to make a move throughout this movie wait until she's in the shower or something dude fuck anyway the jig is basically up at this point so he just flat out tells her what's up and she flips out on him you bastard oh come on now you're a cheap hustling con man Lady, we are all on the hustle. Oh, well, you can just hustle yourself wait, right on wait, out of let here. Me out! Let me explain. The way she said bastard there was pure class. <laughs> so her accent is pretty tremendous here. What I'm wondering is he putting on his accent because it is coming off really cheesy in this scene to me. I think he's actually European. Is he? Okay, I was... I'm 90% sure. I'll check, I'll check the, the actor's name, but... Most of the time, I felt like it was pretty good, but in this scene, I was like, this guy's putting on a terrible accent. I mean, <laughs> I mean I, I'm not going to sit here and say he's a good actor, but I would say... Antonio Cantafora, same fucking last name as the character. I'm assuming he's probably yeah. uh, actually, actually I did Italian. see that their last names were the same as Price, so he probably is the same in time. But it's just funny. Maybe just the way he was acting in this seemed quite over the top. I like that she tells him to take his cheap Italian ass and get out. I thought that was a funny line. Yeah, man. So it looks like she has shut the tap off here. And as if things couldn't get any worse for old Nico, Cliff comes back from trying to fence the ring to tell him that it is a fake A high-quality fake, but not good enough to fool London's diamond merchants. So if you're Nico, there's only one thing left to do. 
nail some other lady, which he does in a very artsy sex scene. Or at least they're trying to make it artsy, but I'm not sure they pull it off. Yeah, so I have questions here. Before we get to the sex scene, I was wondering whether the mob set him up and gave him a fake ring to try to take across. Like, are they just trying to build the hole deeper for him? Or I was wondering whether Fontaine had found it and switched it on him. Was this her way out of financial troubles? You know, that's a great question, and I don't think we ever get a clear answer on either of those things. We do know, and we find out very soon, the mob is fucking all over him, and we also find out later that she is, you know, going to kind of do her own thing and look out for number one, but that's a good, good question, man. I don't, I'd believe either one. Yeah, and I, so I'm stuck with this, and I'm kind of curious about it, then all Let's of get sudden, Judy Collins on the phone. <laughs> Judy, what the fuck? Dame Judy Collins, if is you're she a dame there. too? I, I, why not? She sold a million fucking bucks. <laughs> so we transitioned to Nico here. He he has some bad luck. So what does he do? He heads to the casino. He's there a lot. He's often gambling. A lot of the in-between scenes are him at the roulette table, at the blackjack tables. He says that's where he works. He's going to work. Yeah, he's going to work. So he looks like he's doing okay here. He borrowed a thousand bucks when he got to London. And it seems like he is put together a decent bankroll. We've seen a woman kind of getting close to him each time he's been there, but here they sort of make a little bit of a connection. And out of nowhere to me, she's like, your place or mine. Yeah, I think that was kind of the style of stuff. I was going to say, he's doing a bit more than okay in a second when she walks up. Yeah. He's well, doing great. Well, she says yours, and they head back to his place. The sex scene here is really odd. Well, I mean, again, they're trying to make it artistic. The music is, like, swelling, and, like, the, the sheets kind of come into play a lot. She's kind of got the sheets over her. They're, like, under the sheets. A lot of lighting, a lot of lighting yeah. behind the sheets to make her kind of look angelic. And then you're right. It's very symphonic music with tons of chime flourishes. They're, like, yeah. running them through over and over again. As, you're, <laughs> as you said in the other sex scene, they're both kind of, like, rolling on top. Yep. They're clearly not groin to groin, as would be necessary for actual intercourse, but that was sort of the nature of it here they do a better job hiding it though because they kind of shoot it from the side a couple times yeah. so you can believe that she's like straddling him things are looking up for old Nico yeah right yeah here. well he definitely i will say there was a lot of to mouth all right you know what we we can do a throwback all the way uh, to the I beginning fucking, i've been wrong about this so many times <laughs> i was wrong about it in our fifth ever episode it's a fucking 106 episodes later and i've eaten shit on this like four or five times yes people put boobs in mouth in movies a lot of time fuck man well, listen, much like me finding out about this and Fontaine and Ricky, the driver earlier, things look a lot different for uh, Nico post-coitus because it turns out this lady was sent by the mob with instructions to warn Nico that he's officially out of credit. And if he can't turn what little money he has into what he owes them, they'll cut his balls off. Now, we have seen this dude gamble and he's not great. So his only chance might be the Hail Mary he threw at Fontaine in the previous scene where he has the fake ring delivered with some flowers as a kind of charming, self-deprecating gesture. We'll see how that plays out later. But what I couldn't figure out was why this mob lady f***ed him. Was that part of the assignment? Did the mob want her to drink? before she dropped the bad news i don't get it i think that's just how she rolls i think she likes to play with her food oh yeah okay kind of like the predator thing like yeah. uh, or or you know what like hey the guy's fucking handsome he'll be dead in about a month oh, let me just get a little something for myself yeah i think so i think that was just part of her thing i think it's more fun for her to do that she likes the act itself he seems like an experienced man and uh now she can throw her threat down what was strange to me was 
the sexiest part of her whole scene was her putting her garters back on after f***ing him. <laughs> Did you think so? Yeah, when she was threatening him, putting them on, she seemed way sexier than the weird lighting sex scene with, like, strange music and moaning. If a lady threatening someone turns you on, I think this is more about you than it says about... Uh, <laughs> what, what is Just putting saying. her clothes back on and yeah. sending threats? Yeah, that's yeah, maybe a problem kill I you have, as yeah. she gets dressed and you... Oh, <laughs> oh God. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Nico decides to follow up on the Fontaine lead, not realizing that she's basically as broke as he is, and she invites him to a tea party. Now, I pictured a quiet, refined gathering, upscale clientele sipping from fine porcelain while discussing finance, matters of state, and the such, but this is not that kind of tea party. As Fontaine tells him, It's a charity fashion show. You know, young, sexy models, rich old dowagers. Just your scene, Nico. Ouch, when is this tea party? Right now. She barely gets a sentence out before we do a hard cut to a young blonde walking the runway. This is exactly what you were talking about. Yeah, really, really strong and quick and strange transitions. This fashion show involves, I guess, swimwear. Part of that swimwear means there's no <laughs> it's talks. Questionable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny because uh, Nico's just sitting there smoking a cigarette, enjoying the view. Not even really doing a lot of discussing with Fontaine about what's happening here. But they use this time to set up a plan to create a party to bring Hobo back to the center of the disco universe. Yeah, so there's this guy named Sammy who's kind of popped up in a couple of scenes. He's kind of pitching her on the idea of letting him run her disco and he can bring it back to prominence. And this is the scene where after some kind of casual back and forth, she agrees to give him a shot. And yes, his plan is to throw a massive party, which will include a guest list of trendy faces, impressive bites, and free shampoo. Right. Free shampoo? Darling, it'll be a marked party. I didn't understand the free shampoo thing. I have no fucking idea. I was as confused as she was. Okay, me yeah. too, because I was like... <laughs> <laughs> she seemed really upset, and I was like, why are they giving shampoo away? As we all know, there was a massive shampoo shortage in the late 70s, so it was essentially like gold. If you, yeah. no, I have no idea, man. It's so random to me. So we, we're there, they're planning, and then again, another quick transition to this big party. We are again have topless disco dancers. Oh, very topless. Yeah. There is some lady here who just, like, she's just hanging them out for fucking like five, six minutes in a row. I think there's two of them, and uh, they've done a good job with the, the <laughs> glitter. The glitter. Oh. The glitter. <laughs> the I you're gonna the, say the casting. The craft herpes has come out in. Oh the Jesus! There's a throwback. There's a yeah. can't stop the music throwback yeah. right there. Yeah, no, things do indeed seem to be going well. The dance floor is the most full that we've ever seen it. And as you mentioned, there are definitely some impressive uh, dancers on display. The only thing that's missing is Nico, but Fontaine, who is dressed like she's in a beauty pageant for some reason, is really strange, tells one of her friends that he'll be there right after work. But I'm not sure he's going to make it. Yeah, he's working at the casino. He actually seems to be up a little bit here, making some money. But while he's doing that, unfortunate for him, some familiar faces show up. Well, yeah, it's that lady that he nailed earlier. Uh, and he actually tells her that things are looking good and to pass that message along to her friends. But she says to tell them himself, and right away, a couple of goons walk up and escort him out of the casino. So things aren't looking good for Nico, and he decides to do what any mature adult whose bad choices have caught up with him would do. He makes a run for it, which predictably does not go well. Although we do get some sweet saxophone music for this chase scene. <laughs> it's so funny. He breaks for it. He runs through traffic. For all of like 15 seconds before running down some stairs and getting caught. <laughs> He's like two blocks that are right on him. <laughs> and they're beating the shit out of him yeah. and drag him off to meet the big boss in London. I think the big boss's name is Feather. Did you recognize him? 
No, who was it? Remember when we watched Theater of Blood? Yes. He's the fucking main critic that fights Vincent Price like in the sword fight at that fucking oh, fencing club. Oh, I did not yeah, remember I, It took that. me a while. I had to Google it, but I'm like, I know this fucking dude from something, and that's oh, what it is. That's and hilarious. what a fucking operation this guy is running. <laughs> he is sitting on this like regal leather couch, drinking scotch, and looking at a pornography slideshow to get warmed up for his mistress. Seriously, this is literally an old school carousel projector with actual slides of naked ladies, because I guess Megan magazines are undignified that's what i took away from this scene i was so confused about what he was, <laughs> what was doing this setup i don't know because nico is standing in front of the projector which i'm like guy get out of the projector's he way keeps flipping through the slides though yeah he's clicking through them so there's basically and vaginas appearing on nico as he's pleading his case um i didn't know if he was like talent scouting or what it was but no, man he's getting warmed up remember that lady walks in and she's naked and she's like are you gonna be much longer he's like just a minute i think he's trying to get fucking I, that makes sense based on his age and the amount of vagina that's probably thrown at this pre Viagra. Yeah, yep. yeah, he might need this as his warm up. His lady does open the door. She is fully nude, uh, ready to go, I guess. But he's not ready to go. No, he's got to finish this business. Yeah, he's got to yeah. make sure that Nico knows that consequences are coming if he can't pull through for them. What's consequences right now, man? He takes Nico's casino winnings and gives him a make-good assignment to get back in the mob's good graces. He's going to need to seduce one of Fontaine's wealthy friends or rob her or something. I don't know. We find out later. That sounds like drama to me, and he gets to work right away. Well, not right away. He joins the party at Fontaine's disco and takes her home for another roll in the hay. I guess he's playing the long game here. He's in no hurry. Well, the mob boss does tell him he needs to get invited to the rich people's house. It turns out that this rich friends of Fontaine are also involved in the horse racing business. And I think this is where the mob boss wants to get involved. Yeah, that's where we end up a little bit later on. So he gets invited like he was supposed to for the mob. And now he's going to spend some time with Fontaine. They even get kind of romantic on the dance floor. I'm wondering if they're falling in love. She seems like, is her search over? Well, if she wasn't before, she kind of seems like it after they have sex. She notices all the bruises on his body. I don't know why she didn't notice beforehand or during. Yes, she was too focused on getting up on that pole. <laughs> but now that she knows the type of trouble he's in, she goes into like a protective mode. And after banging him again, presumably, she invites him to move in with her. Because if you're a formerly rich lady who's potentially headed towards bankruptcy, the best possible person to start a serious relationship with is a greasy con man in debt to the mob. But hey, this movie isn't called The Pragmatist, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, these series of scenes are really weird to me. We go from like both of them just having fun living their life to getting really serious kind of quickly. We are going to have something in between that throws all of that off, but what do they transition to him giving her here? I have no, I have no fucking idea. A dog. What? He gives her a fucking dog. I have no memory of this. Well, it, thing? It, I, I can't even of, talk about this. I miss this completely. It's a part of their relationship building out of nowhere. Instead of just being f buddies, they're walking in the park. There's an invitation to move in, and he gifts her a fucking dog. I think it's the bruises, man. I think when she sees him beat up, this kind of like defensive thing kicks in, which I have to like protect this guy because you're right. This whole thing just fucking comes out of nowhere. And unbeknownst to Fontaine, this renewed interest in Nico gives him a direct connection to that friend of hers the mob was interested in. Although this is where we find out that uh, what they're really interested in is one of her horses. Apparently this uh, thing is a world-class racehorse that is heavily favored to win an upcoming race. And the mob wants the horse to take a dive. It takes us a long time to get there though. And before we do, Fontaine's accountant reappears and under the guise of helping with her financial situation, 
offers to marry her. It's pretty much as romantic as it sounds. Where are you going to be in 10 years' time? I told you. It's cold out there. Well, I must say, I've had more flattering propositions. You must have loved her railing against the patriarchy here, eh? She fucking bristles so hard when he offers to make her an honest woman. (laughs) There is so much that happens in this little section. Um... This all happens at the big manor house, the rich people's friends. Yeah. She's out walking that dog that Nico's given her. You gave her a dog? (laughs) Arnold picks her her and the dog up. He tells her that he's going to make her an honest woman, that if she lived with him, and rightfully so, she tells him to go fuck himself. And I'm wondering if this is where the bitch title is coming from. Because to the patriarchy, she would seem like a bitch. Yeah, and I was hoping that that was a, a... positive use of the word i was like this guy is she's owning it yeah Yeah. well like fuck this guy why does she (laughs) why does she have to settle down and marry him so they're at this giant party it's a weird party there is a lot of social stuff happening people are drinking a lot of people there the alcohol is really pouring and we're about to transition into a bit of an unexpected turn yeah, for me. Yeah, this is a tale of two parties is what this is. I mentioned that horse taking a dive earlier. Obviously, that's impossible. So Nico instead puts some pressure on the horse's jockey to lose the race. But Before that happens, we get a whole bunch of casual nudity as the party that like you alluded to basically turns into a giant drunken orgy complete with three-way makeouts, pool sex, and some spring in the sauna. And if this is how the rich live, I'm going to start buying lottery tickets. <laughs> These people know how to have a good time. So it's pretty interesting. The The wife of the rich couple who own this estate is very interested in the jockey. Oh, she's jockey. the jockey. Yeah. So she brings him down to the pool in sauna area, and there she takes off her clothes and goes into the pool with him naked. Uh, they open the sauna door first, though, and see a couple of ladies uh, f***ing each other. Yeah, they were I mean, pretty we involved. see the f- but it's, it's implied. We know it's happening. Those same women from the sauna get in the pool, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Nico appears naked <laughs> in the pool, too. Everyone's in the pool, man. And you know who is not a fan of this debauchery? Mrs. Fontaine Collette, who walks in on Nico giving some blonde and underwater mustache ride. She is upset, and that, combined with her accountant's reminder of her financial peril, is going to push her towards a major move as this all builds to a crescendo. She overhears Nico strong-arming the jockey and, knowing what he's up to, figures out a way she can solve all her problems. And who does she go see the next day? Feather and the Mob. I really don't think that's his name, for the record. I don't know his name, but I don't think that's it. The whole orgy sex scene is ridiculous, and the shots are fucked up. There's a ton of underwater and weird, like, ass and boob and other shots. I also thought it was weird that she is all of a sudden upset about this. Because he's she wants to move in with her. She did. She's trying to make the relationship serious, and he's fucking blowing some lady in the pool. (laughs) And this is such a weird thing, though, right? Like, she wasn't in on anyone until she was, and did they communicate? Was the offer of the moving in enough to be like, we are... Only gonna f each other now, or was, I think it was in her mind. And was the dog this his sign of uh, <laughs> accepting that? Is that what you? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was a distraction yeah. so that I can go get dogged down with some women. Oh, in the sun. <laughs> oh yeah. So she goes to see this mobster, and uh, it seems like they're gonna double cross Nico here. They're gonna get in on or make bets that's gonna earn them some money. 
That is exactly what's going to happen. Her plan is to convince the mob to give her a cut of the action in exchange for not blowing the whole thing up, which she locks in here. And so she lets the horse thing play out. And sure enough, as these horses are in the home stretch, suddenly the jockey just like falls off the horse. There's like no reason for him to fall. He just fucking pitches out the side. Thank crisis is a time without video replay. <laughs> if we could roll that back, he would clearly get caught for cheating here at this point. He literally point. takes a dive. He fucking dives yeah. off the he horse. He rolls off the horse. He is, does get himself into a winning position in the race. I don't know why he didn't just like race slow and blame the horse for being shit that day. But How do you race slow? Don't the horses just run? You have control on how hard they run. You can I pull disagree. on those reins. You think that it's just nonstop, the horse goes full tilts? I think a jockey just makes it start and makes it stop, and there's no in-between. <laughs> I, that's right. I, I am completely shitting on the art yeah, of jockeying. Yeah, holy shit. I think that's Come true, get me, jockeys. Yeah. I'm not oh. scared of you. Well, that's only because you're like motherfucker. two feet taller that's than good. all of them. <laughs> Um, so he does biff. Um, <laughs> so he goes down. The old rich woman is upset and worried about him. Uh, the funny thing was he wasn't going to biff. He wasn't going to bail. But the thing that finally got to him was that Nico had evidence that he had knocked up the rich lady. Yeah. And he scandal. was going to spread that to this jockey's wife. It's and all reputations the with these people. That's yeah, what I've really learned. Was. From this movie. Yeah, that's it's what you're seeing. You're perceived. Yeah. yeah. So this race is going on. He falls off. And in the end, Nico has placed the 20 to 1 bet that's going to pay off big here. He is going to be getting out from under the mob. Yeah, man. I, which, like. Just got to be blind luck on his part, right? Like, he knew the one horse would lose. He didn't know the other horse was going to win. He just placed this bet and fucking cashed out. So now he is set. But Fontaine plays it up like she put all of her money on her friend's horse. And Nico, possibly feeling bad for her or possibly just not wanting the mob guys to see him cashing this fat check, sends her to the pay window. Now, little does he know that was exactly her plan. And that, combined with her cut from the mob, is going to give her a nice little stake. But even though she seemingly won, she can't resist getting one last shot in on her now ex-boyfriend. And what happens to Nico? I think he'll be returned to sender. And back to the States. Economy, I hope. He'd be lucky to go by catapult. <laughs> Dude, just like, this is where she's the bitch, right here. Yeah. Well, That's it. and Nico deserves this, though, I guess, in some ways. He has double-crossed her. They, 100% he deserves they it, They were yeah. falling in love, and he chose random pussy in a pool rather than this woman who I think probably could have made him happy. I think if you're, like, in the vicinity of a pool orgy, I don't know. Like, you, do you, you're not holding him accountable for his actions, huh? I don't want to say that, but, like... <laughs> Based on everything we've seen in the in this movie, it seems like everyone's just fucking everybody. You fuck someone at the drop of a hat. There's a pool orgy. I feel like you weigh you weigh that and you say to yourself, "When's the next time I'm going to be at a pool orgy?" So my question to you is: When he is riding economy back to the U.S., does he regret the pool orgy, or is yes. he sitting there like I think he regrets a lot of things? You think so? You think I think he's murder him? toast. Yeah, it is possible. I think that is definitely implied here. Hope it was a fun pool orgy. Hey, if, if it's the last thing you're going to do. That's, that's worse ways to go for sure. Oh, my God, man. So it looks like Fontaine comes out on top here. And the movie winds down with more dancing as the theme song plays once again in her disco. 
But as anyone who's dealt with them knows, the mob always wins. And as the dance floor crowd parts, she spots the main man sitting at a table going over some financials while Sammy breaks the unfortunate news to her. That is her new boss. A sullen look takes over her face as we get a freeze frame. Followed by flames rising up to surround her in the credits. Is she supposed to be in hell? This got dark. Yeah, this is interesting, right? She loses control. She's made a deal here with the mob, and now she's lost control of Hobo. Did you remember any of the lines from the theme song? I just remember in the chorus, they just say the bitch over and over again. Well, there's this line, and it's the one that jumped out most to me, and it says, God help the guy who gets the bitch. There you go. And it just made me yeah. think of Nico and what happened to him at the end here. Oh, he got it all right. Yeah. He is on his way back. He's on a different kind of transatlantic flight. Yep. And again, like, uh, I think a fine Valentine's Day movie for us to talk about. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of sex, which... Romance, uh, intrigue. I mean, hopefully that... People are getting that happening on Valentine's Day. I hope so. Yeah, I hope you're listening to this in the in the glow of some fucking post-coitus. Yes. I hope you walked out of a pool orgy, dried off, and put on this episode of this podcast. <laughs> and that's where we're at. No, man, this was really something. And I, I got to say, like, we'll talk about this in a second when we go to our ratings. But Stone Gas Man, I love this recommendation. Thank you so much for recommending this because this was kind of uh, unlike anything I've seen before. Yeah, I wondered whether it was a bit of a pull to, like, I, I didn't know that this was a recommendation until we started discussing it today, and I wondered if this was one of those things that you were playing to expose me to something. Like, oh, it felt yeah, like one of those yeah. where you're like, Nolan's such a noob, I need to give him something that cultures him in a kind of film style, and this seemed like a kind of 70s campy thing that would have been something people talked about. I don't know. I feel like this was really small, though. I don't think this was a big movie at all. I don't, I don't know. To be fair, we should have done more research on this, but we fucking always say that. Well, <laughs> when I when I looked it up, it did well in the theater. I, it wasn't really? expensive to, to make. But well, it, that's true. But it made money because of that, and then it made a ton of money on video release. Nudity. Yeah. Telling yeah. you. That's yeah. the key. That's the key to a solid VHS performance. So this would have been behind that curtain that was like uh, no, 18 plus? No, it's not plus. that erotic. Well, it's 18 Although, plus. Well, it, you're not buying this one off the like <laughs> if you're the if blockbuster you're, uh, new release wall. If your parents are renting a movie for you, you're not gonna walk up and say, "Hey, can we rent the bitch?" Well, you slide this one under two really family friendly ones and hope they don't notice when you're at the cash. No, they call that. <laughs> yeah, they call that the. <laughs> 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 I, I think we've told that name. story before. I don't, yeah. think so. I don't, I don't, I don't know, have to yeah. believe his name. Yeah. This is the perfect time for us to transition to our ratings. The way we always do this, we read the movie on a scale of 1 to 10 two times. 1 to 10 for how bad it is, 1 to 10 for how enjoyable, and the goal is to find movies that are a 10 out of 10 on both scales, or what we call the Crit 20. And I had a really hard time coming up with a rating for this, actually in both categories. It's clear to me that in many ways this is a bad movie. There are a lot of scenes where like not much happens. It takes a long time to get to the plot. There's definitely some padding in here. Uh, I don't think all of the acting performances are good. I don't think a lot of them are bad, but I, I don't know something. Like, I don't know what the fuck John Ratzenberger is doing in this thing. Like it's an <laughs> odd choice to me. The transitions are very jarring, like you said earlier, and I agree. There's like a thing. Someone else says, "Man, you're just in the next scene right away." But I do think a lot of elements of this are very appropriate for the type of people and the type of lifestyle they're presenting. A lot of the sets are very kind of like opulent. Some of the the rooms, the house she stays in in London, they're, they're clearly demonstrating that level of wealth that you would expect to see. Um, 
like the plot is intriguing enough that it kept me going through the the padding parts. Although there were times where I was confused about what was going on. The story wasn't totally clear. I think some of that could be them stretching things or laying things on to get it up to the 90 minutes. But I thought like Joan Collins herself did a fucking fantastic job. A couple of times when we've like we've mentioned some of the lines in this movie or played some of the clips, I'm like, th- this is just a fantastic portrayal of like what I imagine. I, you know, I don't run in those fucking social circles, but what I imagine somebody of that era and of that status to sound like and talk about. So I did a really good job there. I'm just gonna go with my gut here and give this a seven bad. It's bad, but in terms of what I think this movie's trying to show. I think they do a pretty good job. I think it's just like it's era specific and some of the editing choices and casting choices are what kind of got me. How about you? Likewise, I thought it was challenged to rate just because it felt so new to me. Like I didn't have a lot of comparisons for it, so I didn't know whether they were doing a good job. It did feel slightly low budget, slightly campy. There's a lot of similar shots. Um, I found that it was slightly confusing and I think that was largely because I hadn't seen the original. Like I oh, felt see, like I don't think that matters at all. I don't think I lost anything by not seeing the stud first. It's a completely separate story. I felt like the character development wasn't there though. Like I didn't really care about her in any way or what was oh. happening to her and I felt like when things start falling apart at the end and then she takes control, I didn't really care. Like I didn't feel invested in that way and I obviously didn't care about the Nico character either. I don't know if it was just that the story takes place in a world that is so foreign to what I understand that that was maybe more of a reflection on my enjoyability, and I won't count that against the sort of, like, bad rating, but that did affect my sort of connection and character development. Um, The cinematography, I felt there were some very artsy, unnecessarily so artsy scenes or sections in it. Well, that one sex scene, they're trying to make it artsy. They're trying very hard, and that I don't think they pull it off. Yeah, I didn't think they did either. So it was some of that. Some of the acting, like you said, was not the best. I did feel like you have pointed out that Joan Collins did do a good job. I thought Uh, she was great, man. Yeah, I thought she did a good job in this role. Uh, Definitely very believable. But I I don't know. It didn't seem like a good movie, and, and that might just be my ignorance about what was trying to be achieved at that time or similar comparisons, but I had it as an eight bad. I could see it achieving what it intended to do. I just don't understand or value, I think, that style of film. I don't know. That's fair. So speaking of how much you value it, uh, what was your enjoyable rating? How much did you enjoy this movie on a scale of 1 to 10? I found uh, this also (laughs) challenged to rank. Um, I like the music. I I did enjoy the the disco and the soundtrack that kind of pushed it through. I thought it was pretty fun. I thought it was campy i thought there were parts of it that like in a good way right i enjoyed some of that lower budget i know what else you enjoyed um the transitions they they were (laughs) they were so chaotic that i actually laughed and had fun with them not because they were good i actually think that could contribute to the bad score too but because they were so chaotic that it kind of threw me around and i also felt like kind of a learning experience like it felt like i was Mm. being exposed to something that i didn't understand the amount of Joan Collins didn't hurt the uh, enjoyability. That's exactly either, right. Many of the I other we stuff there. in there. Um, yeah. I wasn't going to bring that up, but you uh, you you pointed <laughs> out to it. So of course I you were. Yeah. Um, overall, I had this as a seven enjoyable. Oh wow! I actually kind of thought you were going to tee up a higher number there based on your your comments. Um, I totally agree with you about being exposed to something new. Like I said earlier, this is something, it's kind of a world that I have no experience with. I love movies from eras like this because we talked about this during Can't Stop the Music. We just weren't alive then. And it's so hard to like conceptualize 
the idea that people actually live this way, but I'm sure that some did, right? And that's the cool thing is you're kind of getting this window into a type of life that we will never know. And at this point, probably could never know because I don't think there's, I mean, I'm sure rich people are throwing orgies somewhere, but I don't think it's the same tone and same level of kind of like sophistication. Freedom. I, I was going to say like, there's like a poise there. There is a classiness. They're talking about fucking like dick and stuff. It's like innuendo, but it's done in a kind of smart, classy way. And I think that kind of elegance has sort of been lost to history. You think in a way? You think our orgies now are just going to be a lot more graphic? Yeah, and less exactly. Uh, I have to assume a rich orgy is just a you know, it's just dom everywhere, yeah. and then a bunch of uh, yeah, D's yeah. and P's. Exactly, just a bunch of D's and P's. Yeah, D's going into P's, P's sliding over D's, <laughs> P's rubbing other P's. You know, two D's. You know, it's just it's just that, and so I don't know. Man. I like, like going out on that note. I like going out on that note. It's so interesting to me. It is unlike anything I've seen before, and I love that. Like that's a thing that I really love. I thought Joan Collins was fucking great in this. I love the scenery. I loved the the most of the sets, and I really like found myself enjoying the movie. I did not want it to end. I mean, I have this is a nine enjoyable. I really had a good time Ooh, with this. Yeah. Damn. Or should I say I was going to give it a nine, but because of the freeze frame, <laughs> I will be adding one in as is my tradition here. And that will bump it up to a 10 for enjoyable. So I really enjoyed this movie. So that's a pretty high rating though. That's pretty good. I, you can a good see, time, man. You can see why I thought this was a movie you picked to expose me to something. Oh, hundred percent. Yes. But it was not picked by me. It was picked by at stone gas man. And we thank you again for that stone gas man for Valentine's day episode. Maybe not as romantic. We got like a romantic comedy. This would be a good like time for sweet November or something. Maybe. But uh, mm -hmm. instead it's a whole bunch of Joan Collins. F***ing and f***ing. <laughs> <laughs> we love the recommendations. That is something that we definitely appreciate. We appreciate the listening, and we appreciate when you get involved throwing stuff like that out at us. Absolutely. But did you appreciate this beer? Oh, yeah. Delicious. It's really good, eh? Yeah. So crushable for good, me. Good yeah. gap bridger for the two of us. I think so. I think that nice balance of hop forwardness, but also having a really good body, something that you... I love are, a good body. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Something that we just want to swallow. <laughs> We're getting open as wide and swallow. As, as romantic as possible That's for this happening. Valentine's episode. No, here. man, I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed it when I had it in the Aber Brewery. And uh, if you are a, a lover of pale ales or even IPAs, because, again, it's got enough hoppiness, I think, to satisfy the discerning IPA lover. Uh, but if you're not into that scene, but just like a little flavor, it's a good beer, man. And I've had a few of theirs, like I said. Aberb, cool spot. Check it out. Transatlantic American Pale Ale. I would and will drink this again. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think Transatlantic was uh, an excellent connection here, too. I wish I was on that flight, though. Fuck, me, too. I, if, if there's any, like, airline running, if they can keep those planes going and, like, run, like, almost, like, historical first-class flights, I'd fucking pay a shit ton for that. I don't have the money, but I'd do it if I, if you I try, did. You try yeah. to get, yeah, to go on that fun upper level, play some backgammon, drink some drinks, try to join the Mile High Club up there. Ah, uh, yeah. Be a lot easier on a plane like that. Yeah, you have all yeah. kinds of room up there. Tons. You're a tall man, and being in one of those bathrooms <laughs> would not be an achievable thing. I, I can't think, even use one of those yeah, bathrooms. Yeah, I so. can't have sex in that bathroom. I've never been in person. <laughs> Fuck, man. Uh, well, on that note, <laughs> two weeks from now, we discussed feeling this movie had a lot of black exploitation elements. We started out our very first black exploitation movie was uh, a Rudy Ray Moore film, and so it's Black History Month, and we thought a great way to honor that would be to discuss another Rudy Ray Moore film. Two weeks from today, we're going to be talking about Petey Wheatstraw, The Devil's Son-in-Law. <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> Rudy Ray Moore is going to marry the devil's daughter, and hilariousness will ensue. 
Petey? Petey Wheatstraw. His last name's Wheatstraw. Petey Wheatstraw. Yep. The devil's son-in-law. <laughs> they made it rhyme. Dude, Rudy Ray Moore's everything rhymes. <laughs> that's because true. That's I know it's true. been a while since we watched the Rudy yeah. Ray Moore movie, but everything he says rhymes. So That's true. That's true. I can't think of a more appropriate. Our love of Rudy Ray Moore is boundless. And I think uh, for Black History Month, when I was like, let's get a black. I'm like, that's that's the one. Let's get Rudy Ray Moore in there. I'm and, really excited. Uh, I haven't in. seen this. And I, I loved Human Tornado. If there is one non-crit 20 on this podcast that you I regret most. It is probably that movie. But I gave it one, so it, it didn't escape with none. Thank God. It deserved the double crit 20, though. If there's any that was movie back in season one before yeah. you had uh, fucking given up your crit 20. Yeah, it wasn't the cherry popper, yeah. and that was sort of... <laughs> I was trying to avoid that phrase. There were a lot of those popped in this episode today. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of those ladies were virgins. Joan Collins definitely wasn't. Uh, so the two weeks from now, P.D. Weistra, that should be a very good time. We're going to have some fun with that. Before then, if you have not already, please follow us on social media at the BMB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Keep sending requests and suggestions. The BMB Podcast at gmail.com. Absolutely want to thanks at Stone Gasman again for sending this one. That was a lot of fun. We hope you'll join us in two weeks for PD Weedstraw. Until then, I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep it bitchy. Oh, yeah. Joan Collins is the bitch.